You're listening to Blue Yonder with your hosts, Jim Jones, Peter Street. That sounds badass. And introducing Aaron Hubbard. Well, that was All a right. perfectly cromulent podcast. All right, everybody. This week on Blue Yonder, me and Aaron are coming at you. Uh, but we're just uh, sad to report that we're down a cast member this week. And unfortunately, Jim Jones is having a a, a test done. Is that right, Aaron? Is, is that what I'm hearing here? Yeah, as you... Is he? Well, you probably don't know, but our, our friend uh, Jim Jones is into cryogenics, excited about the concept. And he actually saved up enough money to buy an Alcor plan. Alcor, of course, being the company that uh, is most famously uh, proponents of cryogenics. But one right. of the conditions of signing the contract says he didn't want to be taken. Jim Jones is no rube. No rube is our j- friend Jim Jones. He okay. demanded a clause in his contract that they, you know, he's, he's afraid that he's going to be old and frail and have a fatal disease and they're going to cryopreserve him and is a scam and won't be able to bring him back. And, right. and, and heal. So, so he added his contract. They have to test it out on him now while he's young and healthy. So mm-hmm. apparently they took him in, induced clinical death, uh, pumped out all of his blood, replaced it with antifreeze, and then dipped him in liquid nitrogen. So oh all, if all goes well, in seven days they'll uh, thaw him out, uh, warm, him, warm him back up slowly, uh, replace his blood, and then electro... Uh, stimulate his heart to begin beating again, and uh, a couple hours later he'll be joining us on the podcast to tell us about his experience. Again, you can't you can't get one over on on our friend Jim. No, he's, he's too no, savvy. Absolutely, he he wasn't born yesterday, but maybe he'll be born again next. Yeah, week. yeah. All not right, in the well, not in the Judeo Christian sense. No, of course not. Yeah, being an atheist. Right, and, and the cold-hearted, uh, cold-blooded, uh, frozen and liquid nitrogen heart of a scientist since he will be born again. I see. So, right. uh, but, you know, why the cat is away, the mice will play. And uh, <laughs> uh, Peter and I have been begging uh, to do an RPG cast, and Jim has said no. He's been the gatekeeper because he... Just, you know, that's a, another thing he's colorblind, too. He's never, he's never done a pen and paper role-playing game he of course hates fantasy so if you suggest that he would do a dungeons and dragons campaign he practically breaks out in hives yeah he would he would sooner get frozen uh cryogenically than to play a <laughs> pen and paper rpg that had and, fantasy games in fact he would he rather he did in fact yeah. rather get uh, frozen cryogenically than participate in a dnd slash rpg cast so but it lets us uh have free range to just geek out on the topic Yay. Yay! And uh, when you said RPG, just to verify, we are talking about uh, the old classic pen and paper style role playing game, correct, Aaron? Yes. We're not talking about the. Uh, just making sure for the listeners' sake that they know that we're talking about, you know, dice, bag of dice, maybe a grid, a some graph pens, paper. Some some minis, if you're lucky. Yeah. If you're really lucky, lucky, some Dwarven Forge set pieces. Oh, man. My God, if you're super it, If you're interested in having and hearing us talk about CRPGs, uh, you might want to hit up our Geek Colorblind cast because we kind yes. of spend about a good 20 minutes talking about 
our various relationships and opinions on that. So, but tonight, pen and paper only. Yep, and tonight we're going to start with our personal history on where we were first exposed to the genitals of a priest. No, just kidding. <laughs> where we were first exposed to uh, pen and paper role-playing games. Uh, so why don't we start with you, Aaron? What's your history with this hobby? Or do well, you even have a history with this I hobby? do have a little bit of a history. It's an odd one. It, uh, kinda, I have a lot of kinship with Will Wheaton's take on the matter. Um Will who? Will Wheaton. Ah, Will. I'm just kidding. I know so, that. So <laughs> we um, let's see. My started with RPG. Actually, started with my love with comic books. I remember uh, this drugstore, local drugstore, uh, got this little metal rack where they had comic books that they started selling. And uh, you know, I'd always been familiar with Batman and 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 the uh, Superman. Because of the Justice League and, and the Super Friends, you know, on cartoons. And sure. That, I really liked that. But I'd never really read comic books until I was about 11 or 12. And I went in there and saw my first Spider-Man comic, bought it. And my dad said, hey, you know, there's a comic book store in Greenwood. Next time we go over there, you uh, well, maybe we can stop by. Because every once in a while, my dad would be cool like that and encourage something geeky. Most of the time, he's ruthlessly suppressing waste of time and, and ability like that. But uh, So I went, and it was like going to Disney World. I walked into this you know, kind of dark uh, room this mer- where they have all this cool merchandise. They had all this geeky stuff. They had model starships hanging up. They had you know, superhero posters and people were playing cool games and, you know, everybody kind of had that same geeky kind of uncomfortable in their own skin look that I was wearing at the time. And (laughs) there was just racks and racks of comic books. And as I was just walking around with my mouth gaped open, I walked to the back and they had this section of things called role-playing games. And one in particular, they had all this D&D Dungeons and Dragons that had this all this fantastic art on the cover and all and and uh, it looked really cool. But my mom, I knew that my mom would burn those on sight. But oh, still, okay. as I was panning through, you know, because my mom was a religious nut job, and you know that was that those are tools of Satan. But mm-hmm. as I was fa- leaping through them, I saw this ability to where like you know I had all these mathematical formulas and character sheets and uh, statistics and already. I was pretty developed into a prototypical geek and I was really, I had a good time like pretending to draw maps, um, you know, doing amateur cartography and keeping stupid statistics for stuff. And my favorite part of sporting events was keeping score and, and doing all that kind of stuff. So when I saw that, it just kind of lit my brain on fire and I started kind of furtively get, glanced through the rack to find something that was in this vein, but not offensive and I saw the Batman role-playing game. Really? Which is actually a subset of the DC Heroes role-playing game system. So I bought that and took it home and basically read it cover to cover you know, over a weekend. And I didn't have anyone to role-play with. And this is very... If you were at PAX East, uh, Will Wheaton's uh, opening of the uh, his uh, keynote address was basically... His introduction to RPGs of his aunt saying, hey, I know you like to use your imagination. I know you like games. I've heard this is a fun way to use your imagination. Presented him with 
a set of advanced or just uh, the original Dungeons and Dragons set. Right. And right. he didn't have anyone to play with either. And what he just did is he spent a whole summer just rolling characters and coming up with campaign ideas and imagining uh, what they would, how they would be and like doing test rolls and, you know, doing mock combat against himself. And I spent that summer doing just that. I, I couldn't get any of my cousins in, 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 interested in it. Nobody in the neighborhood got it. So I spent my whole summer creating my own superheroes and drawing pictures of them, coming up with stats. Uh, they were really, I was really intrigued and I still in this day by the drawback feature where like you can cheat a certain ability if you give yourself a certain drawback. Yeah. Um, cause I've always been intrigued by flawed heroes and I don't do it in the min max power game. I actually well, me, use it as a. Let me stop you for a second yeah. and uh, ask you this quick question. What was the system for this? Uh, was it, uh, was it like GURPS? Like the generic universal role playing system? Or <laughs> what was the system for, uh, this particular RPG? Do you remember? I wish I knew. I do know that it was not D6 based because I found out to my chagrin when I bought it and I got it home that I needed all these. They kept on saying D10 and, you know, D20 (laughs) and D12. And I'm like, and my mind was boggled. I'm like, how the fuck do you have a 12 sided dice? Does that thing even exist? So I had to wait like. Yeah, I had to wait like a month later before we made it back to Greenwood and I went in there and I'm like, I need these dice. And he, sold me this little tube that had basically one of each die. And I was just amazed. Sure. I, like, there was a four-sided, like, you know, like, how do you use a 20-sided dice? My God, I've given it test rolls. Um, but I do know it was D20-based and uh, had, uh, or maybe it's D10-based. Um, but it is just, you know, I mean, all to, to a lot of extent, most RPG games are the same. They're just frameworks that allow your imagination to take hold and, um, I do remember the, my next, uh, RPG experience. The first one I actually got to spin with other people was with the West End Star Wars game. And what was cool about that is it was all D6 based. So yeah. it's, uh, you know, dice were plentiful and you get lots of them and you had to use a shitload of dice with that because, you know, there wasn't a lot of variety. So you're just rolling gobs of D6s for damage and doing all this kind of stuff. But, um, so yeah, that's how I spent a lonely summer, but productive, creating my own superheroes, coming up with campaigns, inventing superhero, super villains, um, coming up with flawed Punisher style superheroes. Right. Uh, so you were yeah. doing basically as much as you could do as a solo guy. Yeah. So. If, you, if there was such a thing as a single player mode for RPGs, I was single play. I was I was going through that campaign. I was playing the hell out of the solo campaign of the Batman RPG. And I would think that it sort of sounds like the experience that a GM has when he crafts a campaign for his friends to play in. And to this um, day, a lot, of, a lot of that preparation, you know, time. And you know, you just made something a connection in my mind because I was just talking to Madbrew of MadbrewLabs.com. And we were, I was talking about, .com. I was talking, Sorry. that's like, Not is that, that like a Pavlov bell? If I just threw yeah, in something like, like I salivate and shit, like google.com, .com, I see, I can't help myself. It's kind of fun. That's .com. .com, don't abuse uh, it. <laughs> okay. Are you, are you spent? Are you feeling drained? I'm like data. I, I don't tell everybody I have an off switch. Okay. Takes a lot out of you. 
Um, anyway, uh, I just made a connection. We were talking about how, like, he, he prefers to play, but he doesn't mind GMing. And I'm almost the opposite. I don't mind playing, but what I really like to do is GMing. And I wonder if it's because my formative experiences were spent just GMing by myself. Probably. That like, hell, weird. I don't even need players, man. I just, my, they just <laughs> screw up the brilliance of my campaigns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't control where it's going all the time when you have right. players. They just like ride it right off my rails and pisses me off. Exactly. So that's kind of my history. And, uh, you know, the, what's really odd about me, and I'm just going to leave it at that because it's a good segue to you, is Maybe I you have start this. start by saying one of the, one of the many things, Aaron, that's odd about you. Well, one of the many things that are odd about me is I've never played Dungeons and Dragons. What? Wow. Because just about you already. Yeah. Because well, you explain. I know the reasons as well. It's it's basically verboten in our religion. It was something that would be you know something you have to hide and not be able to play with other people. And it's only in my adult life that I've kind of gotten out of that, and uh, I just haven't had an opportunity. But that's a good segue to you because I think you're kind of almost exclusively D D and D. Just about not ex- not 100. percent But when it comes to my history, uh, a lot of it is D and D based because, um, kind of as you were saying there, one of the reasons you've never played is the way you were raised. The way I was raised kind of led me into role playing in the fantasy sense because. I think we've discussed this before in previous episodes, Blue Yonder, how I'm kind of attracted to the more illicit sensations that can be extracted from geek-type experiences right. uh, and gaming experiences. And one of the most illicit fascinations that began to grab a hold of my subconscious uh, mind during my um, kind of pre-adult years, was this idea of fantasy role-playing games, and um, particularly Dungeons and & Dragons. And I don't know if we'll ever discuss this in the show, but you and I have had uh, um, a falling out from our old you know, faith. Cue the song Losing My Religion at this moment, I guess. <laughs> um, and one of the things that I began to look into during my second guessing of the way I was raised was, you know, that role-playing games, especially fantasy role-playing games, were evil. And I remember, uh, I don't know if you know this, several of, uh, several of the meetings we used to have in our old religion, I would skip out on um, towards the end of my religious life in that faith and go to uh, our local gaming store while, this, while our religious group was meeting. The Game Preserve. And I would go to the game preserve. Dot com. Uh, dot com. <laughs> damn it. Aaron. All right. That's here. the last time I kind of sort of promise. All right. Fine. <laughs> and uh, I went there in search of Dungeons and Dragons paraphernalia. And um, Oh, paraphernalia. You couldn't call it that. I'll it's kind of it, like going it, to a head shop. No, you can't it's, say it's a contraband. Ball. Yeah, you can't say bong, you gotta say water pipe. You, you couldn't right. say Dungeons and Dragons, you, said, you had to say the, the fantasy war playing game. Right. It was basically long trench coat, you know, whispering in people's ears for, for the paraphernalia. And right. it was um, a very illicit and exciting time for me. It was also a very crazy time because I was 
kind of opening my mind to other realities, both virtual and real, and starting to be able to actually look at the world in any any kind of different way that I wanted to. And one of these things that was causing me to be able to do this was the fact that I was, you know, losing my faith. And I went right to uh, the demons and right to the... <laughs> Had a to, communion with the table of the demons. I, I went right to the, uh, to the monster manual and uh, started to check out this uh, game called Dungeons & Dragons. That was about uh, 2000, so I think it was that like... That long ago, just, really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, or 2000, 2001, it was the early 2000s. And um, I picked up my my first player's hand guide, and I actually bought it. I was living at home at this time, Aaron. So I was keeping these. Wow. You really were going contraband. Absolutely. And I was never bold. I mean, you know, I transgressed many times, but uh, I was never so bold to bring Dungeons and Dragons home. Yeah, it was um kind of you know an interesting aside is, you know, there there's a lot of peculiar things about our religion, but uh this is kind of like fairly widespread. There was a lot of hatred for Dungeons and Dragons among general mainstream Christianity even to this day. Oh yeah, and not just that, but anything fantasy theme like there's been burnings of the Harry Potter books, witchcraft, you know, anything yeah. right didn't help and that Dungeons and Dragons had little no-shit demons and blood sacrifices. and. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if any of those things were, you know, realistically going on when people got together to play D&D, I'd say that D&D would be a real-world evil. <sighs> but most of the things that, well, not most, everything that takes place within the game world is totally fictitious. Wow, your game group is so lame. <laughs> if you don't sacrifice a virgin at least once a year, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not role playing. I'll spice it up a little, maybe. At least See a goat. The, try, try, try off on a goat in your next campaign. Do a goat it really first. sets a nice tone. Yeah. Ease myself into it. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'll be gaping like a pro in no time. There you go. Anyway, <laughs> um, dot com. <laughs> Actually, that'd be uh, dot CX. <laughs> <laughs> that was like where I first got into it. And while I was at home, I was basically looking through these books, reading them at night, you know, undercover with flashlight, that whole stereotypical <laughs> thing. Sure. And uh, wasn't able to first join my uh, first D&D game until after I moved out. So, and and should I say kicked out of my home. Now is that something you so, did like the first week? Was like, well, fuck this. I'm going to hit the, I'm going to hit the gaming table. It wasn't the first week on my on my own time, but it was, you know, the first few months because I was kind of trying to get my feet on the ground. But once they were on the ground, they marched my ass to the gaming store, and I started playing in a campaign. Sure. And um, met some friends at my job and started to play with them um, there as well. And basically, um, it was a weird time for me because it was the first time I'd ever played the game itself. But in a sense, it was a negative experience because I got into this gaming group where there was a really elitist GM that didn't want to teach a new player how to play the game. 
So he would off me every week. Like the first thing he would do is have a monster. You know, he would roll dice to make it seem random. But every week I was the first person to be targeted and to be totally, you know, splattered all over the place. I don't know how many worms, you know, intestines my characters have been swimming through. But um, at one point I actually confronted the guy and was like, you know, I think this kind of sucks that, you know, week in and week out I see a clear pattern of you kind of targeting me as the new guy and, you know, making sure that I don't have any fun. And he basically said, well, if that's the way you feel about it, you can go play somewhere else. So, you know, it was a poor opening experience to Dungeons & Dragons, but I stuck with it. Um, And it was at that time I started to think, well, if I can't play with these dickheads, Maybe I can run my own game, but none of you guys would have played D&D at the time. So I bought some of the Star Wars uh, D20 edition role-playing rulebooks. And then I ran a couple of those games, I believe, at your house, right, Aaron? Yep, yep. And um, Got me hooked on RPGs again, damn it. Yes. And after I started that nasty work of uh, getting you guys back on board. I was ousted from the religion and estranged for a little while. And that's when I went back into Dungeons and Dragons and started to uh, run my own D&D games to which I, to which I run to this, to this day. Cool. Uh, just out of curiosity before, because you know, we're just going to start talking about like cool experiences and stuff next, but what other systems have you tried? Um, I have not run anything besides D20 systems. So, uh, not uncommon. D6 and the GURPS, I don't really understand those, but I've looked into other systems, like I mentioned, you know, GURPS and the, D, the D6 system. And, um, they seem pretty interesting, but I like rolling my D20s. So, basically, I, I'm kind of diehard for if it, if it requires you to have a large collection of strange dice, especially with the D20 being the core dice that you roll, something magical uh, about that, in my opinion. You know, what's interesting about, I guess I, that I just realized about myself is, you know, in the Magic the Gathering, there's basically four different character types. You know, you've got your Johnny, you got your Timmy, you got your Spike, but there's a fourth character type that's basically in it for the art and the uh, story, and they call those Vorthos. Vorthos. The, the joke being that you have a wheelbarrow name because you're a you're a <laughs> you're a uh, fantasy addict. Um, and I am very much um, a Vorthos player when it comes to fantasy games, and uh, I just realized that uh, I really like. I don't. I don't pay so much attention to the game mechanics, and like I was just thinking, what made me think about this is I was thinking about the game riffs that I played in high school, and to this day I cannot remember anything about the mechanic system, but I can remember how awesome the glitter boys looked, and uh, like all this really cool cover art that they had. I think one thing that was cool about that game is that you could use it to easily convert uh, characters and statistics from other games which I think was part of the concept of rifts that you could, you know, actually have take some monsters from a D&D manual and import them into the game. And those creatures like suck there by a magnetic rift or magical rift. So right. yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a kind I've of a RPG of Vorthos. And I like that too. I think there's, 
One of the things that I heard uh, watching Penny Arcade podcast, I know they have a newer one up, and they do like D&D podcasts from time to time. One of the Penny Arcade guys said uh, what's kind of special, um, well, he's, like what really makes Dungeons & Dragons special is that it's a different type of experience for each player. Each person takes away something different from the from the game. And that is pretty cool because it's such an open concept. You can have all kinds of different types of players. That's another neat thing about reading these uh, Dungeon Master guides is it talks about the different player personalities that you'll run into. Um, people who play the game can be broken down into different personalities just like people who play Magic do. Um, there's the, you know, there's the power gamer, there's, there's the story-based gamer who's more interested in story, there's the person that's more interested in the world, um, there's the actor, there's the, you know, chaotic player that just wants to get in there and test the limits of what he can get by with. There's all kinds of things and ways of approaching a role-playing experience, and that's one of the special aspects about RPGs, especially the pen and paper style, is because you're not necessarily locked into a pre-planned experience like if you picked up a CRPG. Because right. the experience evolves because it, it arises from the interaction between dungeon master and players. And it develops into its own, its own living thing based on that interaction, which is a, is a special quality exclusively found in, in these form of RPGs. Right, but um, that's kind of it for my history. Um, maybe we could talk a little bit about the evolution of role-playing games. Where you think that's headed? Because it's definitely alive and well. I I would say. Yeah, I would say that uh, you know, obviously, in last year's Gen Con, I I set in like ten different panels for all kinds of different systems. That kind of blew my mind. There's so much variety out there with this thing. Right. Um, I don't, again, it's like, uh, one of these days we're going to have to, um, interview old Mad Brewery because he can give you the breakdown of history and, um, uh, but I think that you can talk about an earliest history that RPGing started from pen and paper wargaming. Um, and they have all these different combat systems to simulate space combats and, you know, World War II combat and Civil War combat, and you had all your units had different statistics, and you'd roll dice to, to get probabilities, and um, that uh, and guy those named games still exist. I mean, yeah, they, they, it's it's very much like an evolutionary branch, and that you know, uh, we've got still unicellular life along with multicellular life, even though life began from the the unicellular. So. Or at least, in, if you believe the the, the uh, in the demon science, um, <laughs> but uh, they uh, heretic, yeah. So they start off as wargaming, and a guy named uh, Gary uh, Gygax um, created a medieval fantasy uh, combat engine and founded a company with his friend uh, called TSR and released Dungeons and Dragons, um, which was. I've seen an original copy of it, and, you know, they called, I think it was in, like, a red box, 
and I had just like all this like really tiny type, you know, not uh, black and white illustrations, um, almost looked like a bad photocopy job, something like a zine that you'd pick up at a comic book shop. So, you know, from there you got, you know, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, uh, D&D 2.0, and then you started seeing spawns off. I remember back in the day when I was looking at the, you know, you had each, each like DC had one, Marvel had a RPG system, uh, GURPS was just start taking off, you had Rifts, you had, uh, Call of, uh, Thulu or Cthulhu, mm-hmm. um, and Gesundheit. then like it kind of came full full circle, and you started to seeing things like the Society of Creative Anarchism, Anarchism, uh, and that was a bunch of people that kind of got together um, based on these games, and uh, you know actually reenacted medieval combat and fantasy style combat. And then people said, well, let's mix RPG with this. And that's gave birth to LARP, uh, the live action role playing game that I ranted so heavily against, uh, and offensively against in the, the Geek Babes draft cast. Um, and now, I mean, like the, mo- the, the newest technological innovation, I would guess, would be the true dungeon product that, uh, Peter and I got to sample at Gen Con last year. That's um, one of the- that's one of the offshoot methods. One um, of the offshoot methods, and I don't know if we want to talk about that a little bit, or we can talk about uh, you know, obviously CRPG that we previously discussed, and you got computer augmented role playing games mm-hmm. um, from a very simple stats engine and dice roller to um, you know the Microsoft Surface demonstration that we kind of talked about in the Ultimate Geek House that uh, allows you to lay out a fully graphical tabletop and it keeps track of your unit statistics and uh, the, all the yeah. combat rules and movement and it's uh you know makes playing uh paper rpg almost effortless and you're only limited by what kind of art you can find to overlay your maps with <laughs> right i'm the kind of person that runs a game that i i prefer to use miniatures yeah. Uh, so when I sure. play, I use uh, one of these um, like Teflon maps that you lay out that is supposedly you can use these um, dry erase markers dry erase markers on, which sure. I would suggest. I actually got. Uh, I think I bought you that map. If you're still using the same map from the Star Wars days. Yeah, it's not the same map. I I've bought several of these over over. The oh, it's not. Years. Okay. Um, but I do have the um, the cover the. Like plastic cover that I I set over it, and uh-huh. I actually use the dry erase markers on that um, because you can wipe that off way easier than you can oh, if, you yeah. dry, if you place that to the mat itself. Yeah. Um, but as far as surface technology goes, I would like to. I, I really like the idea of having a mini on the board because I know that it's a game of imagination. But when it comes to the complicated rules that oftentimes are evoked during combat situations, um, it's easier to be able to see where people are, where the cover is. Because like you said, the history of this game, especially D&D, goes back to you know more militant-style miniature games. Mm-hmm. And there's even you know a branch of that. It's kind of gone full circle in that for a while there was the D&D minis game 
which, right. was, which was more akin to just being a strategy kind of war game. So it sure. kind of <laughs> it went full like circle a, there. Like a step above beer and pretzels war gaming, but quite a few steps below, you know, uh, the hardcore war gaming uh, like Robotech and like Gears uh, or, um, Flames of War and, and Warhammer 40K really is not an RPG so much as it is a tactical board game, a war game. Right, with a lot of RPG flavor, but it's not actually... Oh, uh, if you're a Vorthos, stay the hell away from Warhammer 40K because you will stumble out of your room uh, panting and sweaty after spending a week on Wikipedia and TVTropes.com soaking in <laughs> all of that flavor. My God, the flavor. <laughs> Sounds... Uh, savory. Sounds like Warhammer, a Warhammer universe is savory. Yeah, and that would be cool if it was. But I kind of like the intimacy with role playing. You can you can develop a character and go, go places that just running a an army against another army can't allow you to do. But anyway, I still enjoy using those minis because when it comes down to the fight time, where it's just you know war going on the table, it's it's good to have a good representation of the characters. All of my players have a class-specific mini um, that at least has some of the flavor of what they represent on the game table. Um, I also am thinking about, because I really, I I don't want to go full-on LARPing with this, but I would like (laughs) to... um, You've heard of Dwarven Forge, right? Oh, yeah. In fact, I referenced it at the beginning of the cast. Right, so... All those out there that don't know what Dwarven Forge is, go to www.dwarvenforge, that's D-W-A-R-V-E-N-F-O-R-G-E.com, and check out their little demo movie of their product, and it will blow you away. The detail is amazing, and that's what I would like to, to do at some point during my campaign, in addition to... Uh, setting up candles, lighting incense, getting an interactive musical track going on my computer that I can change themes uh, as background ambience on the fly with a flick of the mouse. Um, all of these things are what I am interested in delivering when it comes to DMing my campaigns because I like there to be a, um, I like it to be a visceral experience that to me, will, would help me as a player suspend disbelief and become more consumed with the alternate reality that's being presented. Um, the more that you can, you know, add to the sensations, you know, sights, sounds, smells, the more that you can add to what you're trying to present as a storyteller in the roles of a dungeon master the more I think that the players can get into character and ex- explore the potential of their side of the table. And that's kind of the way I'm going to move my campaign. The more effects, the better. And that's kind of my my theory, I guess. I agree. I agree. I'm similar in my style of DM and the style of play I prefer, as you can imagine, of Orthos. Um, and... I'm a very visual person, so when I do a DM a campaign, I'm Google searching the shit out of like 
you know, example of cool armor that I can, you know, show the characters what they're going for, or this cool spaceship, or I try, like, using really finding, you know, terrain maps for a game that's similar setting to mine and, like, use those. And um, I love miniatures. I love, you know, doing little sets and, and drawing maps. I'm an amateur-type cartographer, and I really like doing that. And I'm the opposite. But but there's another there's another type of RPGer, that is like the power gamer and like, uh, my friend from Madbrew, uh, labs.com, uh, yeah. uh, he, well, I actually, I think you broke the, you broke your curse there, Peter. I slipped in a dot com and, you know, didn't even uh, phase you. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's when I, wait, maybe when I'm in RPG mode. Ah, it overrides that, that, that routine overrides your, your, uh, normal operating system. Um, yeah, I'm in a different headspace. Yeah, but anyway, Madbrew, he exclusive like he goes to um the, the 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 Gen Con and he does nothing but play what they call modular RPG sessions, which are just basically endless dungeon crawls and session scenarios and they're not character specific and they have no real doesn't involve your backstory, you just grind at the, and he really likes that aspect of it. Um, or at least that's what he likes at Gen Con. I mean, he writes a lot of interesting articles on his website about how to do more in-depth, uh, um, GMing, but the style of play he prefers is straight up, you know, dungeon, dungeon crawls. So I'm like to pull, that would be bore me to tears. And I would, you know, it's, it's very, it's very easy to GM that style of the game, but I don't think yeah. it's very much fun to play and it's not very much fun to GM. Yeah. In my opinion, that's, it kind of gets it back to the more baser elements that started the whole thing. Whereas, like, I think the more interesting aspects of role-playing game at a tabletop, at least for me, is, you know, being able to set a, set up a, a, a story and a kind of a, a theme for the campaign, where it's headed, where the characters are going in their personal journeys, and how that either goes along or doesn't go along with the main story that I'm telling. That's right. kind of Those kind of narratives make it somewhat unique. Because, I mean, I could sit down, in my opinion, I could sit down and play any kind of, you know, any kind of miniature war game that I wanted to, but the unique experience that, I, that they can't give me, I can have when I play an RPG is is the storytelling part, and that's what I kind of enjoy the most. Yeah, dungeon crawling is not opt- optimal play for my... Or, I mean, it's like it's obviously fun for people to do it, and I'm not even going to say it's not fun. I've had fun dungeon crawling. It's just not what I think is fun for a GM. I don't know why anybody would run a dungeon crawl, and I think that's the environment where you get the asshole GMs like our friend Peter was just talking about, where they see the player as the enemy. Yeah, that could very well be the case. Because they're basically the AI that's trying to kill you. Where right. if you're playing a more flavorful campaign with a artful storytelling GM, uh, he is your director, and he is collaborating with you to tell this epic story. And it's in his best interest that you survive because you're an important character in his plot. Yeah, you're a main character. Yeah. So the narrator and the storyteller, you know, most of the time. And, and and that's, you kind of get some of the difficulty of what it must be like to direct a television series. 
because um, I'm just watching Firefly this evening, and a lot of times, if something's going to happen and it seems like the main character is threatened, you know that the main character is not going to be per- is going to perish because then the entire show would end. Right. So there's this whole concept of how much of a challenge do you really present to the players? Because if because approaching it in that way that you described so well, I think you're really you know you don't want to kill them, so you don't want to necessarily throw the most lethal thing on the board at them when it comes to an encounter time. Um, but at the same time, you want there to be a sense of real danger there. And it's yeah. kind of a, it's a dichotomy of, you know, where do I draw the line between uh, a challenging encounter? I happen to run a game where I think I could be just like uh, what Mad Brew prefers and actually run a constant dungeon crawler with these folks and, and make everybody happy. But that wouldn't necessarily make me happy. Exactly. That's what um, I was like. I can see where a player would like a dungeon crawl, but our GMs, I can't. And I'll say that, like, you're right. It is a balance of tension to be a, you know, white hat GM and not have your players totally coddled and comfortable and, you know, just starting to become gear grubbers and stuff like that. But I think you can. First of all, you can work into a story of death and even collaborate with the character who's dying, uh, the player yeah. character who's dying, to make it even more meaningful. And what I like to do, though, is, like, you know how a lot of uh, series, like, say, The X-Files, was really brilliant, but then they just kept on running it into the ground and diluting it until, you know, there was no su- surprise or suspense or even caring. Uh, I like to end my uh, my campaigns at Season 3. You know, things have gone. There's been a satisfying kind of climax, and and there's some some oh, like ex- a trilogy. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like, a, but I'm just like equivalent of television terms. You haven't gotten sick of the characters yet. There's still some juice to be mined, but it's better to leave it at that point and and then to you know run the characters into a ground. So yeah. I like to tell the story, have a satisfying conclusion, and then you know, roll new characters and come up with a new campaign. Because I, as a GM, get bored with the campaign. The characters get bored with the campaign. They know I'm not going to kill them. So, you know, either script to death to spice things up or just move on to a new campaign. Yeah, I think, and that requires a lot of planning, too. And you really have to enjoy that step of it, or you'll probably get burned out as a GM. You right. have to enjoy the behind-the-scenes crafting. Right. Um, one of the things that I would like to do, because I'm moving out of... Um, this pre-written module, and that helps an early DM. I know it's it's helped me a lot to oh sure to get the feel of it. It's kind of like your training wheels, but this part as a programmer, is, you're using cut and paste code off the net that you don't even understand. It helps exactly. you kind of you know ease into writing your own code. Right, you see that it can work basically, and you get your yeah. faith you know kind of established in the in the art. Uh, not only do I want to include more of a visceral experience with maybe the Dwarven Forge and you know, candlelight and thematical music and stuff and incense going forward. But I'd also like to include um, an interesting um, scenario that could happen if all the players die. Uh-huh. Um, like, Sitting into hell. <laughs> what, well, something to that effect, where the adventure would go on, right? So, okay, it's the end of their lives in the world that they knew... There's no changing that, but 
the story is not necessarily over. And D&D provides that, whereas like other universes don't. Whereas in right. D&D, there's this entire kind of um, cosmology that allows sure. for a very rich afterlife story. Mm-hmm. Um, or even visiting these other planes of existence while you're still a living being. Um, either way, there's these there's enough out there where you can actually plan to maybe challenge the party and not know if they're going to live or die because it really really will be a legitimate challenge, and sure. not necessarily have that be the end of the game and it, and thus the end of everybody's fun if they fail. Have something happen if they fail. It's kind of like the... Um, and, and it's been done before in fictional novels where right. you will have, instead of, like... Um, instead of the ring being destroyed, as an example, on Mount Doom and everybody getting delivered from the great evil, you actually have the party of heroes die in the process and then have a very dark post-apocalyptic world actually be the center stage for a while because of that failure. But then ha- but then that's an entirely new landscape for an interesting adventure to take place in. Well, you know, I guess that is kind of a good segue into Gen Con because um, it seems like Gen Con is... I don't know, there's two... I guess there's two schools to Gen Con. There's the old... Power gamer school, and they tend to hole up and play these modular dungeons. And then there's the more flavor type de- um, uh, players, but they tend to, since you can't really, you know, although I guess that would be kind of intense to play a campaign from start to finish just over the course of the 72 hours of gaming that the, the Gen Con promotes. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not aware of any sessions like that. Um, so most of the people that like that long story or, and the, or are hooked in a story are doing things like cosplaying, LARPing, and just kind of, you know, soaking in the, the, the geek culture. Would you say that that's pretty accurate or do you have a different take? I have somewhat of a different opinion on that. Uh, a lot of the, at least locally around here where I come from, a lot of the live action role playing mm-hmm. is more of just a combat simulator. Um, huh. One of the groups around here that's active is basically into stage battles where the scenario is different each time, but uh-huh. it's just a pretext for a battle. Right. And the battle is the main show. That's the right. that's why people are there, and they have they have rules that facilitate the combat and live action, and it's and it's not scripted choreography. It's actually you fighting the other person based on these rules. Right. And each weapon has a different power, a different color. Um, if you get hit in a certain way, you have to go limp. It, and, and all kinds of, you know, hitbox rules, basically. Um, so if you get hit in a certain place of your body, you're either dead or you're, or you're wounded. And, the, right. and if you're wounded, you have disabilities. And things. You sound like you know a little bit more about that kind of LARPing than I do. Because the LARPing thing I'm familiar with is... Uh, I've seen a little bit of steampunk, and mostly it's World of Darkness, vampire and werewolf crap, where it's basically uh, chubby girls in uh, PVC dresses, fucking Trinity from the Matrix meets Blade, <laughs> and uh, skinny, pale goth dudes pretending that they're vampires and talking about their clans and the intrigue. And, you mm. know, it, it's kind of like a very clicky... Oh uh, a very clicky high school group uh, made of pretend vampire nerds. So 
I'm pretty, and they don't do much in the role of, way of role playing. It's all just kind of like politicking and you know drama. So you're, this is something like more combat oriented. I've always had a question. Like it sounds like they use actual skill for like you know hits and stuff like that sort. But how do they calculate damage? Do you actually roll a dice when you actually hit somebody in the crotch, like with your magic missile that's a tennis ball? Um, <laughs> well, how do you do damage? Um. The only thing I know about the damage is based on the weapons at this uh, local game store. Uh, it's called Games to Die For. They have a, a website, G, uh, games2d4.com. Dot com! Oh, my God. Oh, my. It's infectious, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> I'm spreading the disease. The only cure is more is dot com. Dot com! <laughs> and... Uh, 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 the weapons, yes, weapons. Um, the fake foam weapons mm-hmm. they sell are either one, are either single hand or two hand, right. and they have a color coding to them. Mm-hmm. So if you have a mighty like two handed weapon and it's got like a red bl- like tip blade on it, when you get struck by that, you're basically done for. Mm. Um, and they also have color coding to the shields. So, like, if a blue shield, if a red weapon hits a blue shield, that blue shield would have, according to the story, been made of weak, like, really thin, like, wood. And say it's going up against a huge battle axe, then the the red weapon would make that shield useless. So it would kind of, like, shatter. So if you go against different things based on whether or not they're, you know, what kind of weapon it is, and also what the color on the weapon is, indicates how much damage it can do against other weapons, and also against your body. And I know it really depends on where the person hits you, so it's kind of like an honor system. If you're out in the woods somewhere, and you you fight one of the combatants, and they jab you in the chest then you could, you know, you're expected to fall down and die. Uh, if they, well, if they, I wonder if the honor system in that works better in paintball, because in my experience, paintballers are a bunch of lying, high pain tolerance having sons of bitches. It seems, <laughs> like, it seems like it does, like, as far as I've talked to these people. Because I think, I think if you're into it enough to, to get foam weapons, then... Right. <laughs> yeah, and who's to say that there's not the, the same kind of power game and griefer that would say, you know, no, you didn't hit me there. I'm, I'm fine, you know. Right, but, right. But it is based on an honor system. I know there are, there are judges for the events, but they're not able to monitor everything all the time. Judge, can I get a judge on the judge? Judge on the judge, please. A judge, a judging judge, judge. <laughs> um. Well, you know, talking about LARP, because like I said, I got a low opinion of LARP, and I did do a little taste of this. It's kind of like. If you hybrided LARP with traditional role-playing game, you'd get True Dungeon at uh, Gen Con. And I... So, so True Dungeon is, imagine someone's taking a, a a banquet room at a large hotel. Um, and which is they, what they do. <laughs> which is what they do. And they've taken, like, cubicle-style partitions and covered it with, like, colored wallpaper and crepe paper and put in a couple paper mache rocks 
and get some admittedly hot women to dress up as like wood elves to prep you for the story. And uh, you physically go through this dungeon and solve puzzles and do lame shuffleboard-based combat. Um, I, first of all, if you had a group of six drunk friends, it might be fun. I played with my good friend Peter and Ace Jace and three other uh, assholes, and we just did not get along. I really did not have fun at all. I I wanted to kill the rest of the party. It was a bad experience. Yeah, and I wonder if it's like, if it was genuinely, first of all, it was like 40 bucks. Yeah, it's expensive. Overcharging by a damn sight. And then they also, suckers actually buy these bags of loot, you know, for like five to twenty dollars a pop that gives you upgraded weapons and it's, it's, it's insidious. They're like, you know what was funny about that, Aaron? What's that? Last year, because I know if I go to this year's Gen Con, it's coming up soon. Oh, well, uh, you, I'm going for sure. If you don't go, you're a damn fool, but continue your life thought. <laughs> if, if I'm able to go fiscally, okay. uh, I am going to go and not participate in True Dungeon this year. Uh, one of the more exciting things about Gen Con last year was the fact that I was going to have the opportunity to do True Dungeon live, which I thought was one of the neater ideas. Um, and it's also one of the big main events at Gen Con yep. each year. Um, but Very like popular. you say, a lot of people are, are into this collecting of their coins there. I had a bag full. You get a complimentary bag. Do you remember that? Do you still have yep. your coins? Yeah, I do because I, I my, my son loves to play with them. Yeah, and they're the and they are kind of cool. Yeah, <clears throat> and they're very very collectible. That's kind of cool. But they're supposed to add to the experience of this. I had a coin that gave me like a plus two bonus to uh, I forget what it was to, to sneak or to something like that. And instead of like allowing me to use the coins I had in my bag, right. the, the the game experience is really kind of, it was sketchy for us, because if you recall, they had a dungeon master per each room. Do you remember that? Right. And yeah, it was kind of giving you a very distant Varied. Yeah. Varied a, a lot. It experience. Yeah. And in person, in, in person, they varied in personality, skill, uh-huh. uh, belligerence, and yeah. um, helpfulness, and boredom, and it was just gave a very inconsistent, I would almost prefer if you had a DM and he followed you room to room. That would be a lot better. That's one of the main complaints I'll give on it. Right. I think that if you, in fact, did have a GM that followed the party through the whole experience, even if he was stupid and forgetting your coin bonuses and stuff, yeah. he he would at least be a bore throughout. Yeah, you know, and there was form some a relationship with him and exactly. he your characters. Yes. You, you step into the 10th room with a party that's been through stuff. That, I mean, we didn't get along, but we had a couple of in-jokes and there was a couple knowing... But each like each GM had no idea what the hell happened before. He didn't know what kind of personality we had. No. You know, if, if, if Even a boar, if he went with you through 10 rooms, by the end of the 10 rooms, he would know who was the funny guy, who was the straight guy, who was the guy that took it seriously, and he could tailor the experience somewhat on the fly. Yes, if he was so inclined. With this, it was just like, okay, did you succeed or fail in the room before it? And I'm going to run my shtick, and I'm going to do my thing. And it wasn't really, 
there were no role playing opportunities. There was basically like the ending of an Indiana Jones. You got to hop across some platforms, you know, you got to solve a riddle or a puzzle. It was basically like running the Tomb of Horrors in D&D. There was not a whole lot of character development there. Yeah, <laughs> and a, a lot of shit fact, they would Ziva. just kill would just lethally kill you for no good reason. It's like, right. okay, there's a puzzle in front of me. Okay, well, I'm going to pick up this. What happens? You die. I think the most fun of the f- most fun experience there last year for me was when somebody chose wrong and reached in the air over this <laughs> cauldron. Uh, cauldron and the guy like raps on the on the little wooden uh dais that it's on and a hand pops out of the liquid uh-huh. and, and, gra- and grabs, and grabs, at grabs you. you yeah 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 and that was a genuine scare because the first time there's a happened. guy under this the, there's a guy in this wooden platform his job all day long is to wait for a tap on his thing and then sh- shoot his hand up in the air out of this watery bowl. That's right. That's hardcore. So I right. appreciate the effort there. And there um, were some cool effects, like when they fought the lich at the end. And yeah. do you remember that effect where the like the lich's spirit rose out I, of the yeah, tomb? We were just, all dead. Yeah, we were dead. Yeah, we were just ghosts watching the but last two wounded characters, right. you know, flail against this fucking beast of a, a monster. Mm-hmm. And but it was very cool. They use like mirrors and uh, like a you know, gauze, like, like a gauze that they shone a light on to kind of uh, give some optical illusions and, and make it look like this guy was really rising from the grave. And right. uh, Pretty cool practical special effects, magician yeah. kind of grade. The other thing that had merits, but it didn't actually go as far as I thought it would, was the, uh, like you said, there was like a, uh, I think a druid there at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was like painted in green and like had a bunch of vines wrapped around her. Right. And... She was pretty cool, and she was also so kind of cute, but she wasn't very interactive. She was like a puppet at Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, she, she, she played she her script. she came out... Yeah, exactly. She she ran the script, and you could be like, oh, yeah, well, what about this? And she would just go, ra- you know, steamroller on through... Like a telemarketer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, there's nothing I hate worse in this world than a telemarketer. Yeah. So and I didn't pay forty dollars to have that kind of experience. I thought I was going in there and it was going to be LARPing. Like I thought for real, I was but going to be like improving. With the, the, the DMs did not cultivate that at all. No, there's nothing like that. It was right, they nothing. felt to me like carnival barkers, like the guys that sat behind, like the carnies that sit behind the games of chance and kind of like egg you on and. That's pretty yeah. much the experience, yeah. Yeah, they just kind of sit in there. They're even like they'd be propped up on their elbows with their legs <laughs> crossed and kind of nonchalantly, lean, uh, you know, leaning against the altar of sacrifice and just talking in a monotone <laughs> about. Step right up just... and try the five elemental terrors. Right, right. Only one bard can win. Step right, right up, right. claim your prize today. And, like some of the guys were so lame. Like when they t- describe the failure, it's like they go to a card and say. You see a fire. You see a a, a ghostly hand appear before the cauldron and Bueller. touch you. As soon as Bueller. you're touched, you're whisked away into an alternate dimension of pain and suffering. What would you like to try next, my lords? And it's like, come on, man. Can you can you just at least read it cool? Can you read yeah. it outside of a fourth grade monotone? <laughs> oh, it was so, a frustrating and disappointing experience. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean. 
maybe I would actually, if Jim went and it was amenable, I would actually do it again um, to just see with a different party, if we did a different strategy, um, what I would try it again, but you know, I mean, now that you're talking about trying it again, I'm remembering my biggest disappointment in in the the real. My biggest disappointment is you fucked the party. You fuck you you rogue for a cool (laughs) t-shirt. Actually, that was the best. And then then you got half of the fucking characters killed by like just moving shit around that 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 one room. That was actually you actually you were half of the party that I wanted to kill. Now that I'm thinking about it, yeah. Let's move on. All All right. right. Yeah. Dot com. Dot com. (laughs) Yeah, I was like the biggest. I was one of the tallest people there, but yet I was playing a gnome. So I was the only one that was small enough to be able to fit in this small hole. Um, and, uh, yeah, don't make any jokes about that. But I went into, I went down this small tunnel and at the end there was this guy just sitting there. I guess his job is to, is to wait on rogues that are gnomes. And he asked me, he was like, oh, you find this thing and there's two, there are two options. You can either give your party an extra, like, health potion and everybody gets an extra point of this or you can at the end of the encounter win lose or draw walk away with a t-shirt that says i totally screwed over my party for this awesome t-shirt you know what would you do listener i i I took the damn t-shirt well you know as a gaming paladin what i would do and the stain disgust i had for my friend peter sold us out for 30 dollars with the cotton (laughs) 30 pieces of silver peter well that's it judas You learn a lot from somebody in the way that they play their games. So that's true. So, uh, um, yeah, True Dungeon, pretty disappointed. Like I said, I tried again with a new set of friends, and you know, try to just you know just to make sure that I'm miserable playing it, but yeah. not excited about it, and didn't have uh, a lot of good memories outside of the hot druid girl. And I guess there are different campaigns. We we tried the oldest sure. one in the book, I guess. Right. So I mean, this year there are even newer ones. So maybe okay. if we like leaped ahead into the evolution of this whole idea and yeah. the latest module, maybe it would right. be cool. I, I, I could be talked into trying it again. Yeah, some of the effects were cool. It just, for $40... It's a price. You know, and, and, and keep in mind, you've paid like $100 just to get into the damn event for a, a three-day badge or whatever. Yeah, that and price is on top of the... Yeah, yeah. This is not PAX, gentle listeners. This is not where you fifty pay fifty dollars for three days and you don't pay for a damn thing once you're inside, uh, unless you actually buy physical merchandise. No, 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 no. Uh, Gen Con will separate your money from the wallet with surgical precision and make you line up like cattle for the privilege. Yeah, and the funny thing is, like we were talking a little bit about LARPing. I don't think that I would LARP in the traditional sense of going out in the field with uh, a costume on, like, mm. you know, and, and running out scenarios. I right. think that I would be more attracted to the kind of live action role playing experience offered from a, you know, set in environment like a true dungeon. Uh-huh. That's still more attractive of a concept to me than than LARPing in a field with. What do you think of that combat LARP where? And I would I've got to try this this year where they basically took you into that warehouse and they decorated it up and you are you choose a character type and it's almost like a Left for Dead campaign. Hmm. Uh, I believe that there's like zo- players dressed up as zombies and you uh, or maybe they're aliens. They're like xenomorphs. I can't. It's one of the two. Either aliens or zombies, or maybe both. 
Um, and you, they, they take you through that, and you have to survive, and you have realistic weapons and Nazi and alien zombies. And there was another one where is a game where you played different cycles, and it's called Werewolf, where mm-hmm. basically you had a party start, and one player was the werewolf, and he had to go and like bite, uh, you know, like play tag. It's like a, a glorified game at tag. Um, and, you know, as, as more and more the party became werewolves, the harder and harder it was to survive. Though some of those, like, I not try, really I try all that. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, I, I will not go, LARP. We need to try a lot more than we did before. Yeah. And, and, I'm not, think... and I'm never going to LARP in the World of Darkness, stupid, crappy golf campaign style of just politicking and, you know, how, how go- out golfing each other. But that kind of, like, physical LARP. Um, almost, almost like if, uh, it's almost like, uh, LCRPG. <laughs> L- uh, well, I mean, La Carp or whatever. Uh, what? in the well, hell like, you know, well, a computer role playing game. Yeah, I La think Carp. I had some of that for supper. <laughs> uh, with a little bit of, uh, garlic sauce. Yeah, it was uh, delicious. It was like a live action computer role playing game. And basically that those like combat oriented are very simplistic and like they're the kind of campaign that I would not like playing on a paper role playing game and nor would I like playing if it was on a computer simulation because it'd feel too limited. But you know, the physical aspect of doing that is what makes it fun. And you know, I'm not so interested in the story when I'm actually in the story as bare bones as it is. So there's a lot of cool, a lot, a lot of cool stuff to try out at uh, Gen Con. Yeah, I would like to try some, some, uh, some more of what they have to offer. Because last year we did a lot of. It was my first time. Was it your first? Uh, time? my first time too. And it's so, like it's very much you had to go to Gen Con. We were looking. It was like we were looking around most of the yeah, time. Yeah, we wasted a lot of time just going back and forth and and buying tickets. And now. I know that you basically have to have a plan and it's, it's very much like PAX where you have to go to Gen Con to know next time how to have fun at Gen Con. Yeah. The first time you just go take it all in, Talk see as much theory. stuff as you can, try not to spend too much money and then figure out what you want to do so you can concentrate on that next time. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it might be a more rich experience this go around. What do you think? Um, what 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 are, what are the topics we got to cover? Um, the one thing I wanted to add to LARP as opposed to like pen and paper tabletop RPGs sure. is that it requires a certain amount of setup and dedication for me to be able to suspend disbelief in anything being almost thirty years old now. Uh huh. Um, so before I'm actually in this nice, you know, numb place where I've convinced my brain that what I'm reading is real to an extent to where I care about it, mm-hmm. it requires a certain, a certain level of, of, um, fluffing, if you will, my <laughs> geek, uh, boner. Imagination fluffing? Absolutely. Imagination fluffing. And I'm going to coin that term and copyright that right here now. <laughs> Um, and when it comes to like live action role playing, um, I really think that that would require more imagination fluffing than it would for me sitting down at a table. Because when I sit down at a table and begin to role play with people there, we all know we kind of you you 
you know that you're not really doing these things. You know you're all sitting at a table, and you've all kind of agreed as a group that this is what you're going to behave like for the session. Mm-hmm. And doing that, I've never really tried to do that where I'm actually on my feet walking around a real place. And it seems like, I don't know, the the realism actually of of being more physically involved might actually take away from my ability to to fluff my imagination and get involved yeah. that it's way. Kind of, that kind of like, well, it's, I guess it's kind of like the concept of the Uncanny Valley, where, like, with yeah. animate, like, say, with animation, that, uh, you know, as animation gets more and more sophisticated and more and more realistic, it, it eventually it's like looks more and more realistic, and then it falls off and goes into what they call the uncanny valley, where stuff looks very corpse-like and artificial, and you start it's not charming and it becomes creepy, kind of like the Polar Express uh, animated movie, and then right. As you achieve 100, it, then it then it sharply goes back up as you man. achieve 100% simulation accuracy. So, and it's one of the reasons, like for example, people accepted the um, computer-generated images of Avatar because they're giant blue skin fictional, and your brain kind of is more forgiving of like, okay, well, what does a real Navi look like? Whereas if they, you know, have a hyper-realistic computer-generated human like in Beowulf or Polar Express, it looks creepy and distracting. So I think yeah. some of that is like uh as you step off the paper and into real life, your brain, you know, as, as you get more and more accurate stimulus can kind of fall into a real life uncanny valley where it's like, this is bullshit and not cool. That makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> I think that uh I think that you probably have that nailed on the head there. And that's probably one of the reasons I'm not as into the LARPing right. is because of what would we call that? I, I don't. I'm not, <laughs> I've never heard anyone talk about this before, like talking about the uncanny valley, and you know, pen and paper meets LARPing. I don't know. I just call the, it the. I just call it the uncanny valley. You know, the uncanny reality. <laughs> <laughs> uncanny reality. <laughs> right. That's a good term. It's like, yeah, the paper mache dungeon walls aren't doing it for me. <laughs> Lame. All right, folks, I think that's just about gonna do it for about the show gonna tonight. Get it done. All right, join us next time on Hee Haw. No, right. um, <laughs> Jim hoed it up. I, yeah, that's fun. Ooh, ooh, the spirit of Jim Jones is fully embraced. Yeah. Okay, that will about do it for our show this week in Blue Yonder. Um, as always, if you have any questions, suggestions, or comments, you can get in touch with us on our forums at www.baldmove.com. Dot com! Holy Jesus, I feel the Lord in spirit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks for taking that over for me, Aaron. Appreciate no that. I, I've, and, I've, uh, it's an affection. I've caught it. I had no choice. That was not of my own volition. Amen. It's the spirit. And uh, it's all that. It's all those evil uh, role-playing games. All right. And um, if you want to get in touch with us there, we appreciate uh, any any of uh, any of that contact. But I would like to hear from from you. We know we have listeners, right, Aaron? I do. And, uh, we we have seen the statistics, and there are people other than us listening to the podcast. None of us live in other countries, and 
we're not sure where you're at, but we'd love uh, we'd love to hear what you think of it and uh, engage us. We answer just about anything that's put on the forums, and uh, I think we're cool to hang out with. Yeah, definitely. We're not going to ignore you, so please uh, get in touch with us there. Or uh, just as of this week, you can contact us also by phone at one eight hundred. Go LARP yourself. And uh, with that said, I am Peter Street. And I am Aaron Hubbard. Ciao. Tuck my kids in the bed. Kiss my wife on the head. I got a serious smile. Tonight I clean the streets. I'm not talking about dying. the week wearing ties. Walk the dog late at night. I take my daily roll. And when the weekend arrives, I'm kicking asses for fun. I put food on the table. Someone say that I'm unstable Secret identity Nobody knows the me Patrolling the city streets My ear to the ground Secret identity No HR harassing me I'll be what I wanna be When the weekend is round And when the sun is the it seems I just closed my eyes And I can hear the sound Of morning cartoons and Saturdays come around Smell of coffee and eggs It's a choice to be made It's just my weekend style Nights for busting heads, days for Target and wild I'm fine with washing dishes but I still have dreams and wishes Secret identity that nobody